Welcome back. I'm Mike Roberts, your host, and we're here to talk about increasing and maintaining diversity in tech beyond the perks. While companies think they can lure in people with unlimited PTO and dogs in the office, we're here to talk about how you can get and keep them. Snack Wallace is powered by Santa Ana Code School, a social enterprise committed to developing tech equity through our groundbreaking apprenticeship program backed by a profitable tech services company. Our business model is bringing diversity into development by putting early career software engineers on appropriate level projects with our oversight, providing companies with quality software services at significant cost savings. I'm going to throw it over to our special guest today. In a few sentences, can you tell us who you are and what it is that you do? All right. Hi, my name is Ray McKenzie. I'm founder and CEO of Starting Point. Um, that's www.startingpoint.ai and founder and managing director of Red Beach Advisors, which is a technology management consulting firm uh, based in Los Angeles. Nice. LA. All right. So I'm hearing from some leaders in tech that finding diverse talent is a challenge. What are your thoughts? Uh, finding diverse talent isn't so much a challenge. I think it's looking for the talent and being open to exploring um, different avenues of finding the talent. I think if you want to find diverse talent, it's there. I think you have to go to those places where those those students or those applicants or those early stage employees are. Um, I think if you if you continue to go and only look for talent at, you know, predominantly white universities or um, universities of that sort, you're only you're going to find the majority of what you're looking for. So if you open that up to a broader, diverse spectrum of universities or schools or backgrounds or requirements, that's what you're going to get. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent. So um, that said, you mentioned some 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 colleges and universities. What do you think about the push to remove the requirement of CS degrees for many of these software engineering roles? Um, I th I have a different perspective in terms of hiring for specific engineering software development types of roles. Okay. You know, just being able to go through college and complete um, the coursework and things of that nature doesn't always prepare you for the role itself. You know, what we've seen in, in my experience in working with several different colleges and I do speak and mentor to several different college students and college classes in terms of business, technology, and entrepreneurship, is that a lot of schools are teaching what was the hot technology at the time, not the current technology that is being used to build enterprises or used within Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies, and the technology that's used to um, build functional new startups that are pushing the edge of boundaries of where we're going with technology. Sometimes my approach in terms of some of those roles, those customer or um, computer science roles and software engineering roles, is to actually show me something that you've built and developed. You know, show me something functional that you have built, that you have used, and explain your thought process in building it, the code that's used, its functional application, and how it can help. And if you can do that, that kind of erases the need for a specific computer science degree because you're now utilizing and you have a functional case study of something that you've developed. And there's a lot of younger employees of all colors and of diverse backgrounds that have built, you know, applications or built tools that people can use. But if you don't have that computer science degree, sometimes that what wipes you out of consideration. And, it, it, and sometimes finding the best talent is not only a function of 
education and where they went to school. It's a combination of several different things, which includes desire, which includes um, that, you know, willingness to learn, which includes functional experience, hands to keyboard, um, which includes also being able to work well or play well in the sandbox with other people. So all of those are functions of trying to find the right person for the right role. Right. Um, that said, what about apprenticeship? Do you think that pattern works for tech roles? Um, I do. I do. I think, and, and that goes back to um, one of the challenges that I've seen in speaking with a lot of different colleges is that there is a gap between college education and what's being applied in the real world. And having an apprenticeship or paid internship program or something similar will allow someone to close that gap a lot quicker. Um, I do have some friends who are working specifically on that challenge itself, but I think that's a significant gap that can be solved, which can close a lot of problems for companies. You know, if you have a junior engineer position and they're learning from a standard engineer or a senior engineer, that helps them get up to speed and using those technologies. But you have to be invested into opening those opportunities to do that and to build that talent pipeline. Absolutely. And I know it's a lot of work. I know a lot of organizations you know, the status quo is sometimes easier, at least initially, than making those long-term investments, which will pay off. They'll pay dividends. But there's that resistance to like, yeah, but like, I don't want to make a mistake or I don't want to, you know, have it not, the program not work and then I end up losing my job because I tried something new. So, so I get it that some people are a little, you know, a little hesitant, but I think the work needs to be done. And to your point, I think, I think they work. Right. So, yeah, yeah, it, w- out there. it works. It's more of a if you build the process, standard operating procedure or process in procedure within some of these engineering departments to where, hey, you're making a change or you're developing some code or you're developing an application or tool. And then a senior engineer is actually that due diligence to check on that, utilizing a series of tools then you have the checks and balances there which allow for teaching which allow for creation you know experimentation and implementation and if you have that and you have that pipeline and that's kind of the culture of the business then you start to develop a good talent pipeline there you go you know and you and you shorten that gap you know i think almost every technological role has a shortage of qualified people who can fit those positions So companies need to start to think, how do I kind of circumvent that? How do I build a culture of um, so much as to uh, trying and testing and checks and balances and allowing for creation and experimentation and teaching within the company to build that internal talent pipeline? You know, whenever I've led organizations, I've led organizations of hundreds and thousands of people, I've always tried to build from within, you know, hire people with with lower skills that I can train up. And eventually I'm filling my own talent pipeline with those individuals. Makes sense. It's a long term approach. Long game, not short game. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. So what advice would you share with companies that are making the effort they're they're they have some diverse talent. How do you retain diverse talent? I think that's a challenge for, I'd say, almost every company that's out there. Um, 
I think you have to give opportunities for people to grow within companies. I, I think that's kind of uh, one of the bigger themes that I've heard is, you know, and even myself, even my own experience in, in kind of tech companies is there's kind of this invisible ceiling that's sometimes there. And that glass ceiling is, is prevalent. And so you have to be able to develop talent and let people know there is some career pathing within companies. You know, one of the challenges that we have as, you know, whether you want to call us underrepresented, whether you want to call us people of color, whether you want to call us, you know, um, whatever term is, is used in whatever your old organization feels comfortable with, there's an invisible class ceiling that we are always seemingly aware of. And with that, you need to develop the ability for people to understand that there is a career path within the company. And if you do these things, you open yourself up to being in that position. You know, the idea is, hey, we work in a position for two to three years and then possibly get promoted. And then you do it again and you get promoted. Well, then you reach a point to where you're like, well, I don't necessarily know if I can get promoted anymore because this other person is in that role. So you kind of have to develop a culture of internal growth and foster that as much as possible. And, you know, I used to tell employees of mine that I hired, I used to say, if you work in the same role for longer than two to three years, I did something wrong which is my goal is to not only to bring you in this position, but also to give you experience and the tools and the knowledge to move up to the next position. Now, your job isn't always to work in my organization. Sometimes you're going to go to QA. Sometimes you're going to go to sales engineering. Sometimes you're even going to go to sales or possibly marketing. Um, it depends on the role that you want to play. But your job, my job is to make sure I develop your career. And if companies say for diverse hires, we want you to come in and we want to help develop your career, then that changes the conversation and it Great. makes somebody feel more welcome to stay. And beyond that, I mean, it, I think companies underestimate the amount of effort it takes to leave Right. And so it's like people are human beings. It's easier to just kind of stay, but if you got to deal with too much nonsense, you're not going to stay. You'll be like, this is not worth it. I can go yeah. somewhere else, you know? So you've got to feel like there's something intrinsically valuable. There's a path, there's opportunity. Otherwise you're like, why am I putting up with all this noise? I can just go yeah, somewhere else. Exactly. And, and that kind of speaks to the climate of kind of technology today, which is now we've got this post pandemic um, culture of a lot of companies that are now transitioning to working remote and more companies are open for remote workers. So if I live in Los Angeles and I'm not happy in my job and I'm not able to find a position that's in Los Angeles, I can easily go scour the other <laughs> millions of metropolitan cities and companies that are out there and also countries and see if they want the talent that's available. Right. You know, so now the burden is on the company to keep people, not the people to keep the company. And I think that's a that's a interesting trend that we're going to see over the next couple of years to see what happens, you know, and I, you know, I want to see people, I would, I would always tell people to try to stay at a position for at least two to three years, you know, develop some tenure. But at the same time, 
if you have a better opportunity or the work environment isn't for you or the liking for your liking, or it doesn't make you comfortable, you have a lot of different options. Right. Got to keep it moving because yeah, life's too short. You know, it is. You got to be somewhere where you're growing, where you're getting better, your skills are developing. And if not, then you got to take a serious look in the mirror. Like, what are we doing here? And shouldn't we be somewhere where, you know, we could be making more progress. So I always say, if you get, I always say, if you get to a point to where you have nothing else to add to your resume, it's time for you to leave. I like that. It's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. So who is someone like yourself that you'd like to acknowledge um, as a leader, it might be a good guest on a podcast like this. Gosh. Um, in the diverse world, I think um, uh, one person that would be good for you to have would be a gentleman by the name of Dr. Jack Crumbly. Um, he's a, he's a uh, instructor at Tuskegee University. Um, he's a good person to speak with. Um, he's the dean of business and economics and entrepreneurship there. Oh, yeah. So he'd be a great person to speak with. Also, uh, Nathan Webster, who's an associate professor at Clark College up in the Portland area. Um, he's a phenomenal person for you to speak with, too. Awesome. All right. Those two are now on my radar. So I'm going okay. to keep an eye out, see if we can get And I can program. make introductions for you, too. So That would be awesome. Um, where can we find out more information about your company? This is a great time to shameless promotions, plugs. What do you got? Yeah, we just, um, you know, I just undertook building my first software as a service startup, SaaS startup. So nice. that starting point, you know, and it's a customer service management platform built for small to medium companies and business leaders. So it's a platform that um, can de- be deployed within one hour, doesn't take code. Um, it's very simple and it's built for companies without IT resources. Nice. So companies and or departments. Um, and that website is www.startingpoint.ai. Nice. Give it one more time. www.startingpoint.ai. All right. You heard it. All right. Now we got the toughest one. Here we go. Are you ready for it? What have you been snacking on lately? What's your favorite snack? Gosh, I'll tell you this. I went um, 101 days without sugar during the pandemic. Ooh. Without Bro, sugar. why would well, you do that? I did everything. I did well. I'd say without. Um, I did everything. I did natural sugars like fruit, but right. I did no artificial sugars, no processed sugars, no sugar substitutes. It still sounds for 101 terrible, days. But... Um, it is rough. It becomes a lifestyle. And then the first day back on, um, I, I snacked on Chips Ahoy cookies because that's what I absolutely Chips love. Chips Ahoy, okay. That's Chips a good Ahoy one. cookies and milk, solid man. brand. That's the snack. Yeah, that's the snack, man. That's the go-to. That's the clutch. I like that. I like it a lot. Those are, yeah, that's a staple. That's You're going to have that in the pantry, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. That's a solid one. Awesome. So we got a couple minutes left. We could either end early. Uh, you could maybe uh, share something else you're working on. You could ask me a question. What would you like to do? Gosh, I think in the effort of diversity, um, you know, one thing I would like to see companies really try to do is just start to evaluate the full spectrum of applicants, which is, you know, um, Google just introduced a a project where you can have a a $300 career certificate program um, that can replace maybe four-year college degrees, Um, start to incorporate uh, examples from people, not just what's on paper. Um, show me what you've built or possibly start to utilize, you know, video interviewing 
Um, send in a, a clip of yourself for one to two minutes. Uh, there's a lot of talent that's out there, you know, and a lot of a lot of us tend to apply to these companies, but we also do not know who the companies are, what technologies they're using. So for companies, if you're looking for diverse talent, I'd say make an effort to go where the diverse talent is. I know there's there's you know the the big phrase and the big position that's being created within a lot of these companies is um, diversity and inclusion officers and things like that. And so instead of just having that position, also give those people budgets to go out to these other universities and go find these people. There you go. It's got to be more than just a yeah. More it's got to be more than just a position. Like it's just it needs to be more than just hey, I'm that DNI person in the company and I'm in charge of making sure that we have cultural awareness within the company. What you also need to do is build programs that go out and promote your companies in front of these diverse and inclusive students. You know, go to the universities, go to the social groups, go to the cultural organizations and not they don't necessarily only need to see the Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies that are out there. They can, uh, there's also a lot of mid-market companies out there, Fortune 2000 com- global companies that can go out and say, hey, we want to introduce our company to you and go to these universities. Not only don't just go to the Howards, the Hamptons, the Spellmans, the Morehouses, go to the Tuskegee's, go to the Alabama A&M's, go to the Bethune-Cookman's, go to the Prairie Views, go to the Alcorn States. Um, and also all of the other smaller universities and regions to where they have a more diverse group of students and say, we're a company that's based in Arizona, but we're interested in trying to pull students from Illinois. Or we're a company that's based in Seattle, whether it be T-Mobile or Boeing or many of the other companies that are there, but they fly to you know, Louisiana and go present themselves to those, those, those students. You know, one of the challenges I've seen is students just do not know enough companies. Yeah. They're not exposed to enough technology or companies and what they're doing. You know, we're exposed to the large brands, the popular brands, the Facebooks, the Apples, the Googles, the, you know, uh, those AT&Ts, the GEs, stuff like that, Tesla, but we're not exposed to the next layer of companies that are not popular brands for the right. most part, but are wildly successful companies. And so companies need to make an, a concerted effort to put themselves in front of students that they want to have to give them exposure. Yeah, I agree 100%. I've, I blame mostly, I blame the education system for not aligning itself real well with industry and providing those opportunities and saying it, like we need to make sure that they know what opportunities are out there for them as part of yeah. this educational journey that like, we're not going to just be like, okay, here's your piece of paper, go help, you know, help yourself. This big yeah. wild world that's out there. But instead like, let's at least create the opportunity for you to meet, have a handshake, understand what this business does and that there could be a potential opportunity for a career there. And so I put the onus not just on the businesses to be reaching out, but also on the education institutions of making those connections. And in in some cases, going a little bit further, like a cooperative education model, apprenticeships, you know, beyond just the, here's your piece of paper, good luck. (laughs) Yeah, very true. I mean, the education system is changing. I I think the days when, you know, you and I were younger, 
we operated off of books. And those books were written once a year. And if you think about what happens now, things are changing daily in terms of what's occurring. Yeah. And so, you know, even if you go back and you say, as rough as a year as 2020 has been, imagine reading about the year 2020 and 2021 without having real-time updates to things and real-time exposure to what's occurring in real time. So it's like, how do you, you know, how do you bridge that gap of, of hey, you, we can't just learn off of books and memos and white papers and, and recorded presentations. You know, it does need to be more iterative and yeah. more continuous and more current. And, you know, and teachers also have to learn this. So, you know, what you learned while you were becoming a teacher is also to a certain extent, sometimes obsolete six months after you've learned it. And so how does that educational system change? So teachers need to know about no code. They need to know about um, cloud computing platforms. They need to know about new initiatives in terms of uh, manufacturing. And, and, and lean processes and or software and applications and the development of that. Um, and how do they stay abreast? So it's a consistent cycle. Education has to be updated. And then companies that are doing the updating have to talk together. Absolutely. But man, we could go on forever on this because when we start getting into advanced manufacturing and the future of work, oh bro, it's a whole other yes. conversation. But Definitely. I super appreciate you coming on the program. And again, uh, want to give your website one more time. It's a starting point, and the website is www.startingpoint.ai. Awesome. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate you coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. The San Diego Code School is a proud sponsor of the Snackwalls podcast. The San Diego Code School is leading companies to tech equity. The tech-enabled apprenticeship program is a venture whose heart is to do a lot of social good and do good work. You can help San Diego Code School secure funding for change by hiring developers, bringing a team in to relieve your backlog, or becoming a program sponsor. You can visit us on the web for more information at http colon forward slash forward slash sdcs.io. 